the sense of awareness showed up actually shortly after my daughter was born. And I was having a conversation with my sister and she admittedly said, we suck at this. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, "Um, I'm struggling. She had two boys and I had my two kids. And she said, I think we should seek out some help on navigating parenting. Hey, Tiff, what are you drinking right now? (laughs) (laughs) My Oatly Hoffermills coffee brought to you by Oatly. (laughs) Got not again, but yeah, okay, we'll we'll give it to Oatly Hoffermills. Again, I'm like DJ Khaled over here. Another one. (laughs) That has to be our marquee drink for each of these sessions. This time around, I have a glass of water, just so that you know. So (laughs) good. um, It's important to stay hydrated. So, who are we talking about today? Yeah, today's episode is with Bippin, Bippin Dillon. She's from Canada, Vancouver, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. And the first time I got to know about Bippin was through an article that I'd read, maybe a chapter in a book called Ignite Parenting. And amongst all the stories, is a book that you know encapsulates parenting struggles, parenting stories, mm-hmm. and lessons learned, and just how people are looking at parenting differently. But the one story that really touched me and almost had me in tears was Bippin's story. Um, not only because I could relate to the example and the exact story that she narrated in that chapter on what she was going through with her daughter, but also how she tied it back to our us growing up in India and picking up on our parents' baggages along with us. So that that had a big influence. And that's why we said, hey, we got to hear from Bipin. So here we are. We had an amazing show and, and conversation with her. What did you walk away with? Oh, you know what? Even when you were just talking about her story just now, I got like goosebumps shot mm. down my arms. With Bippin's story, it was so, so real. Like these are the things that parents don't want to talk about and the struggles that we maybe don't want to admit. And I feel like it was so brave of her to be really honest about it. Yeah. And it wasn't like a, a permission. Like, well, it's okay that it's that way. But she really goes inward and examines everything that happened there and all the contributing factors. And you know how I feel about apologizing to our kids. Yes. And so Biffin, she really, really nailed it on this one for me. I think it's just so important that our kids are realizing that we are human. And so many times it feels like things are coming. Kids think they're the center of of the universe, which is just a natural development thing. And so that's for better or for worse, meaning that even if something bad happens, then a kid also thinks like, well, it's my fault. And so being open with your children about how you're feeling or why certain things trigger you or, or whatever that is, any kind of generational trauma chains you're trying to break. I think just being open and honest with them about those things is really important and creates a great foundation to grow and evolve both for parent and child. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that resonated with me as well, Tiff, so well. 
I think the way she told her story, uh, her narration is absolutely fantastic. She has such mm-hmm. an immense reflection power and she brings us mm-hmm. to that moment. And even though it's so personal, one, she was brave. And second, the way she explains it, I think everybody would be touched by that story. And everybody has been, it's so universal. Everybody must have been in that shoes um, and would relate to it. So I would encourage oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't want to give that story away. We would, however, put the article that she wrote in the links. So if you are interested and want to read that, which will move you again, go ahead and do that. But before we do that, here is Bipin for you. I know that it was a cold outreach and, and uh, there was hardly any context, but I think the article by itself moved some deep chords with us. And that's why I said, I have to have you over and we have to have this conversation about Rerouting, and one of the things that you just touched upon is reparenting um, ourselves as we parent our kids. So, with that, let me just welcome you, Bipin. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And we also have Tiffany, our always. co-host. Yeah, as always. <laughs> How are you doing, Tiffany? Yeah, it's great. We're getting close to Easter. Nicer weather is coming, and in Berlin, that is always a blessing. <laughs> Yeah, by the time this is out, I think the Easter eggs would be long gone. <laughs> they would not They're be all, any Now you'll just be finding the ones that you couldn't remember where you hid them. Yeah, Those exactly. will be the ones left. My kids are 10 and 14. And I'm part of my day today is, is going to be spent on a scavenger hunt type of hunt that involves them having to consider clues about their childhood and then lead them to different rooms within the home. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm one of those parents that afterwards I want to keep all the bits and pieces of the scavenger hunt. And yeah, I joke with my husband. I say, sometimes I feel like I'm the Smithsonian. I'm like (laughs) capturing every part of their journey of their evolution. (laughs) And I have no idea for what purpose or why, other than I, have to I ask think you it then. just brings myself joy. <laughs> baby teeth. Yeah. You have to yes. keep baby teeth. I still have them. I still have them. <laughs> <laughs> so my daughter, went, so we moved from a small town to Chicago and then from Chicago to Berlin. And when we moved from Chicago and we were in Berlin, she found them and she was like, mom, the tooth fairy. And I was like, she rehid them in the house. And when we made the move across like overseas, I had to ask myself like, okay, Tiffany, can we Mari Kondo these teeth? What is your plan with the teeth? Are you going to get one of those weird dolls that you sew them in? Like, no, that's a hard no, you're not. But I am with you. I want to save everything, every single little thing. Yeah, and the teeth. I don't know. I do it too. <laughs> yeah, and they've long discovered the teeth, and I've kept the notes from the tooth fairy. <laughs> I'm so proud of those notes. <laughs> so cute. I was just curious, what is that age when they actually really find this out? Olive was, what, 10 when she moved here, right? So here's the thing. The way we play it with Santa, the tooth fairy, if you don't believe in them, then they don't show up. I'm 34 and I can tell you Santa's real. 
like Santa still comes to my house at Christmas and brings me something. So you decide when they're no longer coming. That's on you. But when you don't believe, they also don't come. <laughs> I do the exact same thing. Yeah. That's, that's We just had this conversation last week. And the kids are like, Mom, we know you're the Easter Bunny. And I said, you have to believe in the Easter Bunny in order for the Easter Bunny to show up. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, you have to wonder, like, is the Christmas spirit, is the Easter Bunny spirit, like, is, who is this for? The kids or me? And I don't care what the answer is. Like, it's still the same. If you don't believe, then they don't show up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I find that it's been a healthy and fun transition mm -hmm. for them to be there. I've heard stories of where people feel, like, somewhat traumatized by finding out that it's not real. Isn't that the YouTube thing? Just kind of breaking that myth and then getting the kids traumatized and making some million views on top of that. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah. That's an Easter bunny of another kind. But yeah. yeah. Before we chase more bunnies, I didn't want to formally introduce you to this um, show. So tell us a little bit about yourself and give us a little bit of flavor of your childhood, your background, and where you're calling us from today. Okay. So today I'm joining you from Vancouver, British Columbia. Actually, I'm at my in-laws house right now recording with you guys. I am in my 40s and I've been married for over 21 years. I have two kids, 10 and 14. I was born in England. I have an older sister and she was born in India. And my brother is about a year and a half younger than myself. And the both of us were born in England. And a lot of the story that we're speaking about today is a reflection on a time when we had just moved from England, where we had been living in actually quite a diverse neighborhood to mm. sort of the opposite experience of living in a small town in Washington, where we really didn't have a lot of community, nor was there a lot of diversity at the time. And so I was around eight years old, as I reflected in the story that we'll talk about. I'm an entrepreneur. I love business. I enjoy all aspects of business, the sales, the marketing. So I work and I also have various businesses that I'm involved with and advisory boards that I sit on. Nice. So that gives you a little bit of background about myself. Yeah. And the story, which is something that got us here today, I think hopefully people will get a chance to read that. It got published in Ignite Parenting. That's a book. That's what's called. How long back was that? We started speaking about it in the fall of 2019. Yeah. In the fall of 2019 was when we were promoting it actively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a beautiful story. It struck a chord with me, obviously, for multiple reasons. You know, one as a parent, but also from a similar background, growing up in India, and I could relate to a lot on how you talked about the parenting that comes from that, you know, cultural lineage. It's a story, beautiful story about failure and forgiveness. I would actually, you know, I could probably do justice about if I were to narrate that story. So I wouldn't mind if you just give us a overview of what that story was about, and we should take it from there. So the story is about an event that took place. I was in the midst of a lot of things in my life were happening at the time. We were in the midst of launching 
our business. We had gone through a, a long phase of development and we were in the midst of launching our business. And I was like a lot of moms in the midst of juggling a lot of different things, working, launching this business and juggling parenting and cooking and activities and time for my relationship and all of those things that we take on as parents. And what had happened was I was dealing with a lot at the time and my daughter was in that phase of making slime. And I'm sure you guys as parents probably remember the slime phase and the baking soda and all of the stuff mm-hmm. that's like getting everywhere and stickiness. And I can't forget I, it. Neither can my carpet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was like, Oh my gosh, when is she going to outgrow this thing? <laughs> my daughter stored free and open free range slime. We'll call it in her backpack. And when I asked her about it once, because obviously she knew I was going to be furious, she tried to tell me that her best friend's mom put it in there. And I was like, you're telling me a grown adult mother took this free range slime and just dropped it in your backpack. That's what she did as an adult. And she was like, yes, she did it, (laughs) knowing that I was going (laughs) to lose my mind. And then I was like, oh, okay, let's call her. And I, (laughs) I was so like looking back now, I'm just like really you had to like prove and it like she knew she was lying couldn't you just let that be so yes the slime and all crises that were born from it very familiar <laughs> yeah yeah so she was going through a heavy slime period and <laughs> our home had this uh, really interesting feature in it at the time it was a, a hidden sort of bar that was inside of a closet and mm. it had this the mirror in the background. It was very, a very 80s quintessential funky little room that she, we had decided, okay, you know what? This can be your science lab. And so she had all of her stuff inside of it. And it was great because then we could close the closet, not look at it. Yeah. And every once in a while, she was eight years old at the time when this happened. Oh, what Um, a dream. Yeah. So she was just in heaven. All of her friends would come over and wow, you've got this amazing, cool room. So it was this really funky little space that she had where she was creating all kinds of different slime, different textures of slime and different colors. And it was just, it was really quite a dream room for her. And that particular day, I knew that it had been like a few weeks since I'd asked her to clean up anything inside of it. And I didn't even actually at the time bother going downstairs to take a look at what was really happening in there. I just asked her, will you please go down and clean the room? It was one of those moments where I I really just had an utter parenting failure. I was doing all of the things that you're not supposed to do. Like I went from just making a request to then asking her like, again, just go do it. What's keeping you from doing it? And I just got into sort of a drill sergeant mode where, you know what, I'm going to put my foot down. I'm not going to go down there. She can learn to do this herself. I was just having one of those moments where I just had it that she's got to grow up and learn how to clean up after herself. And she does it in school and all of these things. And she ended up just getting upset, feeling like I wasn't actually hearing her because she was kept requesting mom. Like she at eight years old, she really didn't know how to clean the room up without paper towels. And we were out of paper towels. <laughs> um, th- and that was just the way that she always did it. She always would. Dead end. Without paper towels, I actually don't know what to do or how to start or what 
anything. And this occurred as, oh, this is being ridiculous. So just go down there and, and do something. And it turned to, in just like I said, everything that was going on in the background was I was just feeling a lot of stress and overwhelmed with all these other things. And parenting is an area where I've often felt insecurities. When as soon as I became a parent, I would notice that I would I was struggling in this area. It was an area that I actually had a lot of difficulty asking for help in because I just culturally were just told, oh, you'll figure it out. And that motherly instinct will kick in and you'll know what to do. <laughs> and so I I was in this world of feeling like, okay, how do I navigate this? And I'd read enough parenting books at the time and I remember thinking, like, don't put any attention on her breakdown here. Mm. But what I really wasn't doing was I wasn't really connecting with her. Like, I was so in my own world of, like, how I was experiencing this that I wasn't even in the moment considering why is she so confused and why is she feeling this way? And next thing you know, it just turned into one of those things, those exchanges where you're like making threats. Okay, if you're not going to start, you're going to lose your screen. When I'm not in a moment of overwhelm and stress, typically I wouldn't go to making threats and (laughs) those kinds of tactics. Like that kind of an old school way of parenting that I grew up with, where the threat doesn't even match like what you've done wrong. I'm just going to take away the thing that I know that you want the most, mm-hmm. which for a lot of kids today, that's their electronics. So mm-hmm. I just went to like, you're not going to get your electronics and you're not going to get it for a week. And then it was like a month. And, it was just, <laughs> and meanwhile, she's just like on the floor screaming and crying. And I just remember my head just feeling like it was going to explode. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. quite grasp of what was happening And rather than looking to see like what was missing or what I needed to do, I was beating myself up. You don't know how to handle this. Like you're not very good at this. And all of these kinds of this negative self-talk had started. And I knew enough to like, I've got to get away from the situation just to like gain some perspective. But if everyone knows what it's like having young kids, they don't oftentimes let you just take a space away, a moment (laughs) away so that you can gain perspective. And that's the situation I was in. She just followed me everywhere I was going and was clinging on to me. At one point, she was at my feet and I was trying to walk and she's just <laughs> oh hanging God. on to every, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh. And I just, and I thought, okay, I'm going to grab the bathroom garbage. I know that's already mm-hmm. out. Paula asked me to throw it away. And that's what I did. I, I went to grab this bag. And I can't exactly remember the moment it happened, but I just felt so overwhelmed and frustrated in that second, in that split second. Mm-hmm. And she she was, she just continuously not giving me any space. And the bag was in my hand. I turned around and like, just to give me space. And normally the bag's just full of like toilet paper and what have you. This particular day, I happened to have a cup that she threw in there from her slime stuff. This is the age where you find random things like hidden in places and you're like, where did this come from? I always and find so candy in our away. bathroom trash. There's like candy wrappers. Yes. yes. And yes. she'll have taken a bath and then I open up to throw the trash out and there's all sorts of like sweets and snacks. And I'm like, no wonder she was in here so long. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, 
all of those things are like, and they know they're not supposed to, and they know there's structures in place. And so then they'll hide and sneak around and still do it. Sure. But that's exactly, you know, what was the case. And so I, I turned around, I flung this bag and it hit her in the face. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, what are you doing? Like that you cannot, like what is happening that you would go to like actually hitting her with this bag? And she stopped immediately, everything she was doing. I walked out with this bag and I'm just bawling my eyes out thinking. Mm. And I'm and having she's crying moment. and you're crying. She's crying. And everybody's crying. crying. It's going great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is one of those worst moments of your life kind of experiences. And I walked out. I threw the trash away stood there for a second to just catch my breath and gain perspective. And it was in those few seconds that I was acknowledging that I was so worried about showing up as my parents in that moment. Just it's interesting what you put your energy on that actually is sometimes what shows up. If the more that you're trying not to be a certain way, the more you'll likely end up showing up that way. And so yeah, I walked back into the house and went to find her and she was hiding in a corner in her room and I apologized and I said that was so not necessary. And immediately mm. it almost seemed instant. I knew what to do then. You know, I said, let's go look at the room together. Let's see what needs to be done. And then of course, it, the day that day she spent the night at my, my in-law's house and I went to pick her up the next morning and noticed that it left just a slight bit of puffiness underneath her eye. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I must be like the worst mom ever. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, who does this to their child? Mm. That day, I happened to be driving to Seattle because I had started this project to document my father's story of the 1947 partition. He was about five years old when that took place in his life. And, and I had said to Jay, I go, I'd really like for you to come with me. And, and that also fit, that was more in alignment with the consequences that I had actually established with the kids, which is if we're not getting along, then that means we need to spend actually more time together. <laughs> and so my kids hate that. As soon as I say, if there's fighting amongst each other, and I even say together time, they're like, okay, what do we need to do, mom? <laughs> to get out of it. Tell us the way out. <laughs> yeah, get out of it. I have a 14-year-old son, and, and my daughter is 10, and the kinds of things they're into are completely different. So anytime I mention together time, they're like, oh, my God, what am I going to do for 30 minutes and watch Fortnite? I don't want to watch Fortnite. Or vice versa, He's my son will be like, I don't want to watch, like, the girly things that she's up to. And yeah. I can and, imagine and, a 14 year old boy doesn't have a whole lot of interest in the, the same things as a 10 year old girl, especially a little sister. Yeah, absolutely. So as we were driving to Seattle and we were driving through Bellingham, which was the small town in which I grew up, I was just struck by all the same emotions and experiences I was having on that it takes about two to three hours to drive to, to Seattle from Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And I was just struck by all the same emotions of like being this child 
not understanding when my parents would argue and fight and they would react in ways that would honestly startle and scare me a lot. And they would give me it. There was always a sense of uncertainty in our home when they would argue and fight like that. And I could see how it was getting triggered by not wanting to show up that way. So one thing that you wrote about in the article that really struck me, there are certainly pieces of it that I really could identify with. And being a single mom in the States for as long as I was, it's it's not an easy situation. Like it's pretty stressful. There's a lot on your shoulders. And of course, like you don't want your kid to feel that. And so you're just taking it all on. And one thing that I really loved you talking about was giving yourself forgiveness and also your parents understanding that they had actually their own traumas and experiences that caused maybe the reactions that they did and just the awareness that you had around that. And so I'm curious how you were able to look at your daughter and be so kind right afterwards when you realized and giving that same forgiveness to yourself and permission to make mistakes. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that one really struck me. Absolutely. The one thing that was missing with my parents was there was never an explanation. There was never a sense of completion. There'd be some kind of big blow up fight and something would happen. And we'd just go to bed crying and then go to school the next day. Mm. You know, there was no mm-hmm. sense of, hey, are you okay? Are or, you hey, let's talk about of? that. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about that. Let me explain what was really happening that had me react that way or whatever. In this mm-hmm. case, I at least took time to, you know, I looked at my daughter and I think I was really trying to put in place what was missing in my own childhood, which was a sense of responsibility and accountability. When mm-hmm. you do have parents that are going through their own struggles and challenges, they can really be inside of that victim mode. And with my parents, it would be like, oh, my mom would think it was my dad's fault. My dad would say it was her fault. And it would just continue to go back and forth where no one's taking any responsibility for just their own behavior, how they are Mm -hmm. showing up. And when I had this conversation with my daughter that day, I, I thought, Like, I have to just be responsible for how I handled that situation. And and how I handled it wasn't very great at all. I totally overreacted. Looking back, I could have done some stuff to take care of my own well-being. Taking care of, okay, what do I need for myself today that Mm -hmm. would have me show up for my kids on a Saturday without feeling overwhelmed by what was happening in other areas of my life. It was really interesting to have that experience as I was talking to her, also feeling like I'm talking to myself in this moment and just saying, it's okay, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I reacted that way. That wasn't okay for me to do that. And let's figure out what, what we need to do to clean up that room. What comes to me is when you talked about that responsibility and awareness and that closure that was missing when you're going through your childhood with your parents, I'm thinking, you know, where does that awareness come from? When do you start recognizing that this is what was missing? Now, I grew up in the setting that I'm used to and where I grew up in, 
this is this was very normal and there was no comparison point it's a, this is in india delhi and every household is homogenous similar stuff going on father gets to call the shots and you don't question your the authority you don't question your parents and i imagine with you moving to england and the us i think you see the differences and you see what's happening around and what i'm struggling with is to come to terms with this awareness that what i grew up with was normal but it's actually not the normal that i should be comfortable with in the current setting so yeah but my question is really at what point do you start becoming aware to these differences and owning up to this responsibility how did that happen for you this sense of awareness showed up shortly after my daughter was born and mm. i was having a conversation with my sister and she admittedly said we suck at this <laughs> mm. she's like I'm struggling. She had two boys and I had my my two kids and she said I think we should seek out some help on navigating parenting. And I remember at the time she had invited this woman her name uh is Tammy Fisher and she was involved with the Nurtured Heart approach and the Children's Success Foundation that was founded by Howard Glasser and she came to the house my parents home at the time and shared about the philosophy of how it's very simple but difficult to do it really takes a paradigm shift for us to acknowledge that everything we do is energy it's a vibration and what have you and so we can actually put more energy on what our kids are doing well they'll start to flourish and you'll really experience more of their greatness mm. then if you put more emphasis on the things that they're doing wrong and i just thought i wouldn't even begin to know how to do that like how does one actually do that all day long and she was demonstrating that it looks something like you see your kids rather than when kids are playing and you just think oh great they're playing I'll walk away now and mm. I can now make that phone call or I can now get on the computer or I can now go make a meal whatever that looks like mm -hmm. you would actually stop and acknowledge and give them a lot of praise for how well they're playing together and I just thought okay all right I think I can start to do that and so it was it really I think my sister for because um, she's her kids are a little bit older than me and she was further down on her parenting path and had started to look for what kinds of tools and resources would make a difference for her and she was kind enough to set this up and I read the book on the approach and yeah so I'm so thankful that she was the one who brought that into the picture and it wasn't something that I could overnight say okay um i you know it took such constant awareness to be mm. in that frame of mind because it's counterintuitive right like you normally go running when there's a problem <laughs> you're not <laughs> yeah. running going yay look at all of that like you did that that's so great yeah um but yeah it's really about how I love the way that Howard Glasser explains it. He speaks to how we'll get so animated 
when mm. we're all worked up versus the opposite when our kids are doing a great job. How animated do we really get? Like maybe the coaches and the teachers, they get super animated. But as a parent, I didn't know how to be that way. And I also, there was a part of myself that just felt like it was inauthentic. Like, mm. uh huh. I, I don't know how to be like that. You, you never had that as a kid as well. I never had that. And it, it took something for me to let go of these ways of being that just don't benefit me. And that transition from being one way to another in between one, it's exhausting, but two, you feel phony. I remember when my daughter was in intensive care for some time and a lot of time NICU babies, they don't develop as quickly in certain ways. And so she was really struggling with her speech and being able to communicate and was really frustrated all the time. And so I talked to her pediatrician and said, you know, she's really hitting me. And she's a tiny person, so it's not that... But she'll grow and we can't just hit everybody and everything when we're like flailing and thrashing our arms and legs. Like, what do I do? And they said, oh, when she's doing that or when she's being too rough and aggressive with you, just rub her hand softly and say soft touch, soft, touch, you know, to elicit the behaviors that you do want. And I remember mm. thinking, oh, my God, this is such bullshit. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so like, here I am, like, this little eight-month-old baby, like, soft touch and, like, smiling. And I just thought, like, this can't be my life. But it worked. <laughs> and now, even now, mm. she jokes about it. But she does it also to other little toddlers who, when they're just getting real excited and being so aggressive, oh, soft touch. That's the right thing to do. But, yeah, it's just – it's exhausting and it feels so fake. It feels really fake. Yeah, it does. It feels really fake. And I I really start to saw how I actually had put up this wall around a hardened kind of way of being. And it served me great when I was following my path, my career path. But that doesn't really serve you when you're being a parent. You have to really be vulnerable as a parent Mm -hmm. and have patience and... There's such different qualities that are required as a parent. Just the transitioning to parenting took time to develop. And that wasn't demonstrated to me through my childhood was patience. And I shouldn't say it wasn't. There were times when I could see my mom trying to be more patient. My dad definitely had very difficult time being patient. Like he would have no problem with us taking on an activity or a task, but it was expected that in doing that, whether it was making cookies or cake or that along the process that there shouldn't have been any kind of mess, like nothing could end up on the floor. (laughs) And I hadn't realized how even trying to take on some of these parenting methods, I took it on as like, I have to perfect this thing because I didn't want to, because the impact on my kids is that if I don't perfect this, they'll get traumatized or wounded in some way. But Mm. that's not realistic to have your kids um, never experience any of the other array of emotions (laughs) human beings feel. Like Mm -hmm. for me to walk around like this complete love bug all day, (laughs) yay, all I see are kittens and rainbows. Just a walking ray of sunshine. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> thought that's unrealistic for me to, if they did something 
like spill something, break something or what have you. Sure, I'm not going to give them kudos for that unless, of course, they did it, they cleaned it up. And then they just told me, hey, mom, I broke this. And then I cleaned it up. You know, I actually would actually praise them for that because typically that's what I say to them is I'm not interested in creating like this kind of blame culture. I'm interested in like creating Mm -hmm. a culture of responsibility of saying, okay, that happened, but what do you need to do now? Yeah, I love that. When you're looking at all this objectively and consciously, it, it has a different weight on you as well because you tied this incident and your upbringing to your parents' lack of you know, supportive environment when they were growing up as well. And and now you could justify why they were or how they were as they, they turned out to be to you. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how did you equate that equation? I really am so thankful that the timing of that opportunity to record my dad's story around the 1947 partition surfaced when it did because it allowed me to forgive him for all of the, he wasn't very nice. Some of the words that came out of his mouth when he was angry and upset were mean. They were mean and bad. And then what ends up happening is you end up making certain choices and decisions along your life's path. And you're unconsciously unaware that you're doing it to fulfill upon something that you didn't see you had in your life. And Mm. sometimes some of those decisions can leave you with a sense of like shame, whatever decision that is. Having that experience of documenting my father's story, which at the time was five years old, and he, shortly after the partition, he lost his father. He talked about all of the disruption that took place and how they had this beautiful home and had created quite a lovely environment for themselves. They had animals and horses and it sounded like this beautiful picturesque kind of experience of life. And then all of a sudden it was completely disrupted. And they were one of the last to leave. My father was young and he was quite connected with his father. So all I can imagine is making that trek after it's already been going on for so many days. And now you're seeing the impact, right? You're seeing dead bodies. You're seeing women defending for their lives. Like you're seeing all kinds Mm. of things I can't even imagine ever witnessing in my life, like how traumatic that must have been for him. Mm. And he lost a sibling shortly after he lost his father. They were separated from certain family members that they were never able to reconnect with again. Like it's just heartbreaking when you start to Mm -hmm. think about that. And then later on, there was other things that happened in his life. And here he was, had just moved from England, where we actually had built a lovely life, to this small town in Washington, in Bellingham, and having to restart again. Mm -hmm. And it was really fascinating for me as this adult to see how the parallels of that experience and why that would have triggered him in some way to react Mm -hmm. in the ways that he was uh, reacting because he was dealing with, now I've got three kids to take care of and we're living in this small apartment and we don't have any community here and probably second guessing and questioning the decisions that led him there. And, And meanwhile, there's my mom and my mom's mom had taken her life shortly after the partition. So my mom was 
around the same age, around five, when she lost her mother and wow. left with the trauma of the way she died and the way the community dealt with that. I'm sure, Deep, you can speak to how the community sometimes will, it'll become what is experienced as gossip. And all of a sudden, mm. you're seen as a victim by all the people around you, right? Oh, she's mm-hmm. the girl who lost her mother. And did you hear her mom died like this? And she was left with that story of her mother rather than mm. anything else about who she was as, as a person and the kinds of things she really enjoyed doing. And so here you have these two parents and they're dealing with their own stuff. They were so in that space that they were not present to the needs of what, you know, was what their children were going through. I can now look back and reflect and really have so much compassion, understanding for mm. them. Ultim- they were mm-hmm. so doing the best they could. Beautiful. Isn't that so freeing? When you realize that actually like they were doing their best and being able to, as an adult, see that, understand it, forgive them. And did it make it a little easier for you to, I feel like sometimes when we can forgive other people that it makes it a little bit easier on you to understand and forgive yourself for your missteps and just that compassion, being able to have self-compassion. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. I think that, like I said, the timing of that experience along with this event happening, which I've never ever had anything like that ever happen in my parenting journey and knock on wood that I never find myself in that situation again, but it really I think all of those things really did come to the surface so that I would not only be able to forgive myself, but forgive them mm. for all the ways in which I felt like they they weren't there for me. And for it to not just be the only thing I got left with from my childhood, mm. because there was other great, wonderful things. And mm-hmm. my parents really did. They really triumphed. Mm. I think a lot of immigrant parents do end up finding their way. Mm. Yeah. Did you have any closure with them? Any discussions around this? And what was it that like? Oh, yeah. Any acknowledgement of how it was or maybe even regret or how they would do things differently? Anything at all like that? Yeah. My dad is not one for a lot of that. I felt honored to have just gotten to record his story. And just him opening up and sharing and these sessions were recorded for four or five hours. So just the opportunity to really capture that story allowed me an opportunity to honor who he was and or who he is and what his life was like that led him to be the way that he was. I, I look at him and I think, wow, I'm so impressed by what you've been able to create for yourself in your life, given the circumstances that you had and the challenges that you overcame. And with my mom, I've had more of those kinds of like heartfelt conversations around what it was like for us. And it's been difficult at times. It's been confronting because I think sometimes we all want to look back and just remember the good times, everything that they've done. But it's just as important to have some closure around all of those experiences that you sometimes can get left with. And she's often said to me, I didn't know any better. You know, Mm. I didn't know any better. And she says, 
once you know better, it's like that Maya Angelou quote, once you know better, you do better. But until you know better, you you don't have Mm. the awareness to do anything differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. You know what? It's, it's given me a lot of closure. I think it's given my siblings a lot of closure. It's really brought us together as a family Mm. to have these conversations. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned about these stories that you recorded. Was it like, what, tell me the process of recording the story. If somebody wants to do that in their family, I'm just, and I'm talking to myself here. I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So Stanford Library started an initiative called uh, the 1947 Partition Archives, because Mm. unlike Mm. some of the other events in history, you think about, you know, what what happened with the concentration camps and what have you. Some of those, a lot Mm. of those stories have been documented and films have been made and what have you. The 1947 Mm. Partition is probably one of the least documented events that has happened in history. If anybody wants to find out more, they can go yeah. to the 1947partitionarchives.org, I believe is the website. Mm-hmm. And and you can either request to have somebody record, like if you have somebody in your family who witnessed the partition, you can request somebody to do their oral history recording, or you can mm-hmm. be trained in doing it yourself. So in my case, I'd actually made a request of somebody else to do it. And then my dad was had this sore throat. All of a sudden, it was like, I don't want to do this. Why are we doing this? And that's when I, it kind of struck me, maybe I should just get trained in doing it and capture his oral history myself. And I'm so glad I did because it was a great experience. And so it, it was a matter of asking questions around the event and and they provide you with all the questions there were some questions i had to ask multiple times and each time it was interesting how much more of his story opened up like a lot of us we tend to hide things that have been difficult Mm -hmm. and so it would take usually two or three times for him to find more details in the story Mm. incredible yeah it was really wow. incredible. I've been on this journey as a parent now for 14 years. And every single year is a new experience, a new unfolding of what I'll discover. I think everyone is just on the same journey of evolving and growing. Yeah, we're all just trying to figure it out, huh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, no one comes here with all the answers to parenthood. So true. Yeah, it's so funny because I was having this conversation that in life, we can come across as being inauthentic because mm. the truth of the matter is no one's perfect, but no one's going to wander around life going, okay, I'm this terrible human being. <laughs> like, let me just yeah. wear every single time I'm failing in life out to the public and all of those kinds of things. There has to be a sense of you know, privacy in your life. It's interesting. And I just remember having that same experience as a child of feeling like everyone has what's going on behind doors. You know what I mean? Like in their home Mm -hmm. of whatever happens in their home where you might throw a tantrum about something or you might, but your home is like your safe zone of like where you mess up and you have your failures. Mm -hmm. You don't always go all throwing that out to let me show that to the public. And 
sometimes it's important to share those things because no one's perfect and everyone is on the same path and journey of doing the best they can. I have Mm. to say reading your article was so incredibly triggering for me because I could see so many aspects of myself in what you were writing. And so I just want to say thank you for being brave enough and vulnerable enough to show us your messy side. It's so easy to show everybody the clean and the perfect and the finished product, but what you did is not easy and it's really hard. But what it does is it makes it easier for other parents to say, actually, it's okay that I'm not perfect. That's not the the goal. The goal is to become better and to learn and We're always going to put bricks in our kid's backpack. And just like our parents did us, and as an adult, we have to unpack those. That's part of the journey, right? Mm. And our children will also have bricks to unpack no matter how perfect you try to be and how you try to do things differently from your parents. There will inevitably be bricks in their backpack. And they will also get to unpack those on their own journey. And when they become parents, I think we're going to get a lot of apologies. So... (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing today and for spending some time with us. I know you've got to get going, but I absolutely loved your article and this conversation. Yeah, you know what? Thank you both. I, I think it's important to have these conversations. It hasn't been easy to share because... Some mm-hmm. of these experiences are shameful and mm-hmm. they trigger other experiences of shame and experience of guilt and all those emotions that we want to pretend that we don't have. And the reality is we do. That's part of the human experience is to have all of those different emotions and they're not good or bad. It's our rite of passage, I think, to go through those experiences because it's when you go through them that you actually have so much more appreciation for when mm. you're in those moments that you're just feeling so much love and gratitude. Yeah. That's Without a doubt. the best way to explain it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Ripon. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, we hope you're enjoying the show. If you haven't already, head over to reroutingpod.com and sign up for the newsletter. Subscribers receive exclusive updates from Deep and I and are the first to know when there's a new episode out. That's reroutingpod.com. Enter your email and we'll make sure you don't miss a thing.